In this audio recording, Avia Pasternak of University College London discusses two theories of political obligation with John Pike, the author of Book Six. The problem of political obligation is a problem that is as probably as ancient as political philosophy itself. We have uh, uh, reflections upon this issue already by Plato, and uh, the reflections upon this question really go up to this very day. So, and as you can imagine. In this very uh, long and debate, there are several answers um, or several proposed theories to why it is that citizens have political obligations, and I want to mention two of these theories that um, uh, that provide uh, relatively good answers to this question, although each of them has its own problems. The first uh, theory is um, what is called the consent theory. And according to this account, citizens have the obligation to obey the law because they have somehow consented to the authority of the state. So, in a way, the argument is similar to the idea of making a promise. If I made a promise to my friend that I'm going to meet her at five o'clock this afternoon, I have an obligation to meet her at five o'clock this afternoon. And if I, for some reason, didn't make it to our meeting, let's say I just forgot about it, then I've done her something wrong. Now, the theory of consent of political obligation kind of transfer this model to the level of the state, and says that citizens have consented to obey the law, and that's why they have an obligation to obey the law. Now, of course, a very immediate objection to this argument is that citizens actually do not consent, at least not explicitly, to um, the authority of the state. I think that none of us really has ever been asked by the state, "Do you consent?" Before um, we ask you to obey the law, and um, there might be some exceptions to that. For example, maybe people who Uh, immigrate to a certain country by the act of immigration, uh, consent to the authority of that uh, of that country they emigrated to, but these are really the exceptions rather than the rule. So, um, but the theory of the consent does have a reply to that problem, and the reply is to identify in the behavior of people of citizens in liberal democracies. Identifying the behavior, certain features that amount to a consent. So one example would be to say that citizens do not leave the state. If you don't leave, that means you're happy. That means you're you're consenting to the deal that you're being given. Another example is that um, you accept the benefits that the state is giving you. You know. As citizens, we we use the roads that the um, public authorities have paved. We send our children to the schools that uh, the public education. Uh, we use NHS services and so on and so forth. By accepting all these benefits, one might say we are in fact uh, giving the message that we are consenting to the authority of the state. And another example that is particularly relevant to liberal democracies is participation in the political process. If I vote for a certain party, if I participate in the elections, or at least if I don't protest against the process, that means that I'm consenting to the process and to the outcomes that are generated from it. So that's the consent theory. An alternative theory of political obligations is called the fair play theory, and this approach doesn't focus so much on 
what citizens have consented or not consented to, doesn't focus so much on the citizens, but rather it looks at features in the state itself that justify political obligations to it. And again, specifically, if we focus on liberal democracies, so you might say that liberal democracies are uh, systems of social cooperation in which different individuals cooperate together, and this cooperation yields certain benefits of which that everybody enjoys. So, for example, I mean, very crudely, you might say, we all pay taxes, the The state uh, uses these taxes in order to provide national security, in order to provide health services, and so on and so forth, different type of public goods, law and order, and so on. We as citizens enjoy the benefits of the state. And therefore, for that reason, we should participate in paying for them. If we decide not to pay, if I say I'm not paying the taxes... I'll basically be free-riding. I'll be taking advantage of those other citizens who have done their share, who have done what they're supposed to, and um, I'll be treating them unfairly. So the argument is, if you enjoy the benefits of this social cooperation, if you enjoy the, the goods that are coming out of it, you have to pay, you have to give your share. Not doing that would basically be free-riding, would be treating others unfairly. So that's an alternative view of why we have political obligations. OK, thank you very much. That's very clear. So there's these two accounts, and then there are some other accounts, mm-hmm. but each of them seem to have their limits. Um, you've said that the consent account seems to rest on us consenting to the state and the state's authority, but we can't think of an occasion on which we've actually, most of us, given that consent. And then there's a a fair play account where we receive benefits from the state and we're thought to owe obligations um, in response to those benefits. But it's the case that I receive benefits from all sorts of things, um, from it being a sunny day, and that doesn't generate obligations in any straightforward way. Leaving those limitations aside, we've got an idea of some of the reasons why we might be thought to have an obligation to the state. But I take it that you think that that obligation isn't absolute, that there are sometimes where, sometimes when we shouldn't obey the law just because it is the law. Could you say something about what those occasions are, what the limits are of our obligation? Yes, of course. Probably any theory of political obligation, whichever one you think is the most convincing, it must be the case that every theory of political obligation should leave some room for cases where citizens are justified and maybe even required to disobey the law. Otherwise, it would be a really too monolithic theory of political obligation. Now, We can think of different cases in which we we can think that disobedience to the law is justified. But I think the most clear-cut and probably the most important one is when the state endorses a a deeply and clearly unjust law. And, of course, we should realise and we must accept the fact that even a reasonably just liberal democracy uh, would make some unjust policy decision. A theory of political obligation, therefore, um, 
obliges us to obey the law even if we think the law is unjust or we disagree with it. In fact, this is the whole point of the democratic process, right? We have different groups that have different ideologies, different conceptions of justice, maybe, and the democratic process helps to decide which of these conceptions is going to win. So there is bound to be a minority that disagrees with the decision accepted. Nevertheless, there would be cases where the injustice is so clear and so profound at least in the eyes of some, that uh, it's a it justifies and might even um, uh, require that citizens disobey to that law. So if citizens feel that the law is utterly wrong, for example, because it violates the very core of democratic ideals, think, for example, a law that is very racist against certain groups within the society, Or it might be a law that causes deep harm and acute harm to groups outside the political community. Think, for example, about the state deciding to um, declare an unjust war against another political community. In those cases, you might say, we don't have a political obligation. We don't have the obligation to obey the law. I want to give you one... Con sorry. So you define it in terms of scale. The scale of the injustice is the crucial thing. And you would put attacking a, a, a foreign power unjustly as being of such a huge scale compared with a ban on fox hunting that that would provide your justification. The scale can definitely be one of the reasons, one of the, of the criteria for, um, for defining when the justice is so uh, 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 deep and the injustice is so deep that it would justify disobedience. It doesn't have to be, though, on a very large scale. Think, for example, of if you have a, a democracy in which there's a very small group of a minor, a very small minority group, let's say a very small proportion of the population, which the state decides to severely uh, uh, discriminate. So, so scale is the wrong word. It's the size of the injustice itself. It is the size of the injustice itself, yes. Dr. Avia Pasternak... Thank you very much. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.